Today, though, our service is focused on joy. So let us begin by defining joy so we can have a common understanding. And this definition I'm going to give you is from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Here's how it defines joy. Closely related to gladness and happiness. Although joy is more a state of being than an emotion, a result of choice. So let's give a little illustration to try to put this into um, a way we can grab onto this morning. Imagine with me that you have a cell phone with you this morning that you're sitting with, and it begins buzzing. It's buzzing because you're in church, and so you put it on silent mode. Thank you very much. So the phone is buzzing with the wonderful news that you have just won a contest. It's a brand new car. I know. So you correctly answer the skill testing question without the use of a calculator to follow all the rules. And you realize this is not a scam. It is actually happening. You have won a brand new car. And you're sitting there calm, attempting to listen to a sermon, but knowing there's a car coming your way. You're not just happy in this moment, and you're not just glad. There is a joy that is becoming a sense of being for you spontaneously because of this good news that you have just received. We might call that joy. Well, the Bible teaches us that true joy is found in the hearts and lives of those who are forgiven of their sins. This is more than just information. It's more than just being happy and glad. It's a sense of being right with God. And it's a sense that is good and satisfying, knowing that you are pure and clean and right in the sight of a holy God. You might say that joy in its purest form is the gladness and happiness that comes from being loved, forgiven, accepted, and made new by God Almighty. Well, today's message is all about good news of great joy, and it comes from Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bible with you, you probably want to turn to Luke chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. About 80% of the way through your Bible if you're trying to find it quickly. And we're going to be seeing in this passage what happens right after Jesus is born. This is an announcement that comes to the shepherds by way of an angel. So we're going to read it all the way from verse 8 through verse 18. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed 
at what the shepherd said to them. May God bless the reading of his word. Today we're going to look at to who the message was given, what that message was, and how these people respond to the message. So the message was given to shepherds. I put on the screen there the line that says, don't trust the shepherds, which is exactly how culture would have thought about shepherds in that day. Shepherds were not trusted. In fact, if you had a legal dispute with somebody and you wanted to have the shepherd's opinion on it, the shepherd's opinion was not valid testimony in a court of law because you can't trust the shepherds. Their position also as shepherds made it very difficult for them to be part of the religious part of their day. Um, because, A, they're always with their sheep, it was tough for them to get to the temple to offer sacrifices. Also, because they're always working with animals and this sort of thing, they were quite often ritually unclean. So they were an untrustworthy group who had a hard time fitting in religiously or socially as well. They were the bottom rung on the social ladder. You can't trust the shepherds. I'm not sure how it would feel to be a shepherd. I'm guessing not that good. The shepherds that we're talking about today in Luke chapter 2 are specifically, though, Bethlehem shepherds, which is different from traveling shepherds. They were particularly stationed in Bethlehem. Um, that means they likely had permission from local farmers for their flock to graze in the field. And it was kind of like a win-win deal where the sheep would be able to go to the fields after the wheat had been harvested and they would eat the stubble from the wheat and that would actually fertilize the fields in preparation for the next harvest. And so it was a deal that they would have had, and it was a win-win situation. Now, what I found that was quite interesting in my research this week is that there was a Jewish law in the Mishnah that stipulated that sheep that were to be used for the temple were to be kept at Bethlehem. So these are a special group of sheep that are here. In fact, all the other flocks of sheep were to be kept out in the wilderness. Temple sheep were in Bethlehem. So we can learn from that there's a very good potential that these shepherds were in charge of future sacrificial lambs future passover lambs that was the purpose of these sheep and i find that really interesting because i know what they didn't know that this baby that was about to be announced to them jesus would ultimately take the place of these sacrifices of these passover lambs it said about jesus i, I believe it's john the baptist who says Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I think that's a really interesting connection in this passage. But these shepherds at the time of this passage was being, um, Luke chapter 2 was talking about, they did not yet know that God had sent his son into their world. Instead, they knew that they were the outcasts of society, likely doing a job that nobody else wanted to do. I wonder what joy looked like for these shepherds. I wonder what they were hoping for. What would give them a sense of gladness and happiness? Maybe it would just to be settled for being thought of as an equal. Maybe they were hoping, hoping that one day they would get out from under the uh, oppression of the Roman army. At this point in history, Israel is not a free nation. They were a conquered nation. And as such, there was the Roman army that kept watch, that kept things under control. They had to submit to Roman law and there would be a soldier on, all around at different places. Maybe they were hoping that they could have their country back again. I think that was the hope of much of Israel at the time. Well, these shepherds are about to have the night of their lives. They're in the fields. They're keeping watch over their flock. What that really means is they're watching out for things like wolves, 
um, maybe thieves that would come and harm the flocks. Their job is to keep watch. They would take turns, different shifts throughout the night. Uh, maybe it's in the dark of night, so they're, they're looking at the stars, seeing what's going on. Maybe they're checking out the moon. Maybe they're just about to nod off. When suddenly, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Uh, they did not see that coming. We read that they were terrified. Have you ever thought about why were they terrified? You know, the first thing I think of is, well, there's an angel standing in front of you. That's terrifying, right? Just on its own. But maybe it was more than just the shock of the appearance of the angel that had them terrified. Because we see in this passage that accompanying the angel was also the glory of the Lord. It shone around the angel. So let's talk for a minute about what that would be like to see the glory of the Lord. And this isn't the only time in the Bible that the glory of the Lord shines. There are other times that happen, and this was sometimes thought of the Shekinah glory of God. And we can look at some of these other times when the glory of God comes to see what these shepherds might have been going through. So we're going to look at the, um, the testimony of both Ezekiel and John for this. Now, when I think about God's glory, I've got to remember that God is holy, which means he is pure, completely separate from sin. Uh, he's different from us. And he is surrounded by glory. It emanates from him. And there are times when that glory is visible. And that, those times are very precious. But to be in the presence of such purity and perfection, could you imagine being in that situation? I think it would also really heighten my own awareness of my own shortcomings, my own pride, my own sin. I'd say, all right, how can I survive this? I'm in the presence of a holy God. Ezekiel was a prophet who lived 600 years before Jesus was born. And he had an amazing vision from God. Here in Ezekiel chapter 1, he describes what God's glory looks like. Verse 28. The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the form of the Lord's glory. God's glory shows up with the appearance of a brilliant light. Very, very bright, you could think. And I used to think this was always a brilliant white light. But if I read what Ezekiel says about the light, he compares it to that of a rainbow. Brilliant colors. Beautiful. So that gives me an idea of what the shepherds were looking at when they saw this glory of the Lord and shining around this angel. What might they have been feeling? So for the, what they might be feeling, I want to take a case study from John. John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was a church planter as well. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And while he was there, he had a vision. And in this vision, he exclaims being in the presence of, of God's glory. And here's what he says in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. That is what a terrified person would do. Um, it's an immediate loss of strength, an instant realization you're in the presence of God. You just lose your ability to stand and bam, on the floor, which actually happens to most people when they come into the presence of God. They just, they're terrified. They hit the ground. What would you do if you were in the presence of God in, in, in light of his glory? Um, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we could see God's glory and not be somewhat terrified ourselves. It's not that it's scary or terrible. It's just that God is so good and holy and pure, and what comes from him, his glory, is so good and holy and pure. It's just so obvious that we are so different from God. We're sinful people, and we, in, in, in that sort of a presence, 
environment of being in his glory, it just becomes so obvious that God is good and we have so much shortcoming in our own life. In that moment, we immediately recognize we're sinners in the presence of a holy God. That's why there's such good news that's about to come to these angels. The angels say to the shepherds, don't be afraid. Why shouldn't they be afraid? Uh, why should any sinner have any sort of comfort in the presence of an angel who's got the glory of God surrounding him? But it seems as if God didn't send his angels to declare a message of judgment against the, sinner, against the shepherds. Uh, the message that the angel's about to deliver is entirely different from judgment. Verse 10 from Luke 2. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Their great fear was about to be overtaken by a greater joy. And we're going to see how that joy affects the shepherds. Well, what was the message that the angel gave them? How it would affect them? What would they do with the information? Uh, what was the good news that would make for great joy for all the people? Verse 11. Today, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. So there's three parts to the sentence. All three parts will be very meaningful to the shepherds. Uh, we'll look at the fact that it was announced there'd be a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. Those two are together now. And thirdly, to connect them all, who was born in the city of David. Uh, another word we can think of for Savior is deliverer. And Savior, that, that's a word that implies saving. What, what kind of saving did these shepherds need? What were they to be saved from? Popular thought of the day, we talked about this already, they needed saving from the oppression of the Roman army. Uh, they were hoping that salvation would come, and it would be kind of like from King David's lineage. Um, someone would rise up and would raise up some sort of an army that could give them their freedom back. Uh, the shepherds knew what it was like to live in captivity. They probably wanted this freedom, but it was not that kind of saving that God had in mind. He had a, a different kind of saving in mind. And it's said very well um, in Luke 19, verse 10. This is Jesus talking about himself, but what his mission was what kind of saving this Savior would do. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. God's plan for saving starts with his seeking. He cares for the lost. He cares for people who are living in darkness. And when I say people living in darkness, I don't necessarily mean people who are like in the occult or witchcraft or um, maybe even just people who are involved with what our society would deem to be dark or unethical. Instead, the Bible teaches us that we can be lost in darkness in the sense that God is light and God is good and God is truth. And if he's not at the center of my life, if I'm not seeking his way with his help, I don't have a light. I don't see things correctly. I'm lost. I'm in darkness. I need help. So the, the shepherds were in many ways cut off from the sacrificial system of their day because so often they were ritually unclean. They, they couldn't get to the place where they had to have the sacrifices that were happening because they were with the sheep. But Jesus came so that he could give himself as a sacrifice for those shepherds' sins. They might have been unable to come to God for help, but he was seeking for them. In, in the middle of the darkness of the night, he came, he sent an angel with, surrounded by his glory and giving a message there was good news to be had. You know, when we think of a search for criminals, we usually think of it being done so that they can be brought to justice. Somebody robs a bank, and now we hear it on the radio, this bank's been robbed, and the police are closing down these blocks, 
they're going to find the criminals. And the reason is so that they can punish those criminals and bring them to justice. Our sin makes us enemies with God. It can, you can think of yourself as a criminal in God's eyes. It puts us at irreconcilable odds with God. You would think he would come looking for us to punish us, to find us and bring us to justice. That's not the good news that the angels came with. They came saying, a Savior has been born. And we're going to find out later in Luke 19, it was a seeking Savior that had been born. People who are lost in the darkness are being sought out by a Savior who will sacrifice himself so that they can be saved. God had been promising the Israelites for centuries he would send them a Savior. And now these shepherds are about to find out that the Savior is also Messiah, the Lord. Messiah means anointed one. Christ also means anointed one. Um, but Messiah is Hebrew and Christ is Greek. And the shepherds are Hebrews, so they get to hear Messiah. Lord designates the position of a ruler. So put those two words together, and we see that the angels are announcing that the anointed one of God, who is the ruler, has come. And he is the savior that they had been waiting for. The one anointed to do God's work. The ruler, the one who would have full authority. Furthermore, he was born in the city of David. David is the king who had received a special promise from God. And the promise was given to David, but all of Israel knew of the promise. And here it is recorded in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. An important part of the good news for the shepherds to hear that this baby was born in the city of David, the final piece to a puzzle, exactly who they had been waiting for, counting on, hoping that God would send this specific Messiah and Savior. This was the promised one, the fulfillment of the promise to David. Salvation had arrived in the person of a baby who was born on that day in Bethlehem, the city of David. And the angel didn't just give the information that the baby was born. So now that they knew, the baby or the angel also gave a sign so that they could go and see that baby with their own eyes. They could go and verify what was being told to them. Verse 12, this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. There is nothing too crazy about wrapping a baby in snuggly cloth or swaddling a baby. We still do that today. The strange thing is that the baby would be lying in a feeding trough. We have a feeding trough on our stage here. Not generally speaking where you would expect to see a baby. It would be a sign to these shepherds. It kind of goes to show that God knows what he was doing. You know, I'm sure that Mary and Joseph weren't entirely impressed with their lodging situation that night. Um, most mothers who are expecting a child don't envision that one day this baby will be born and placed in a place where animals eat their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That is not the hope of most mothers. But God used those humble surroundings as a sign to the shepherds so they could see and then tell the good news. I like to think about faith this way. Uh, faith is believing that what God says is true and then demonstrating that you believe him by your actions. What would the shepherds do with this information? Could we see that they believed it to be true by what they did next? Uh, what would you do if the angel had said that to you? Would you have believed the angel? I think probably. I mean, it's an angel speaking to you. That's pretty extraordinary. But... What does it take for us to be convinced that something is true if there's not an angel speaking to us? 
How many times do we need to read a verse in our Bibles to act on that truth, to say, I believe this is to be true. This is going to inform how I live and how I act. How obvious does God need to be in our lives? You know, the shepherds were not high in their society. God chose the lowest of the low to send his angel to, to give an announcement that all of heaven was waiting for. Uh, You could say that by giving them the announcement of this good news that everyone had been waiting for, that God was putting a value on these shepherds that society hadn't. Or maybe it's better to say that God was recognizing the value that was already in those shepherds that the society did not recognize. It is kind of easy to judge people, uh, to determine just by looking at somebody what kind of value you think that they might have. And it's very reassuring to know that God doesn't value people based on their achievement. God doesn't value people based on their appearances. He doesn't value you based on how popular you might be. Um, God values people based on the fact that he created each person. God values each each person based on the fact that he loves them. And he's on a mission to seek and to save the lost. God values lost people, and God values found people. Everybody counted the shepherds out, but God valued them. Everyone might count you out, but nothing matters in life more than what God thinks about you. God's opinion of us needs to mean more to us than what anybody else thinks. And so we see here the good news of very great joy. A Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. I don't think that the angels are giving a concert for the shepherds here. That's not what's going on. They are there because they are giving glory to God. The sky is filled with a heavenly host who are marveling at God's brilliant and perfect plan to save people. Amazed that he would come to earth and humble himself, becoming fully man as he is fully God. They are just out there giving God the absolute glory that he deserves because of his goodness. And the shepherds get to be there to watch this happen. The angels proclaim the wonders of the goodness of God. They hear the good news. He's giving peace on earth to people that he favors. And then the angels leave the shepherds, return to heaven. The brilliant light is gone, but the joy remains. What would they do with the message? Verses 15 to 20. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. What can we do with this good news of great joy? The shepherds, what did they do with it? They searched until they found the baby Jesus. They repeated that message that was told to them, and everyone who heard it from them was amazed. And they praised God for all that they'd seen and heard. A good and proper response to the good news or the gospel of Jesus. And we can do the same. We can search for Jesus. We can repeat the message. We can praise God. We can search for Jesus, too, by reading our Bibles. Look for him in the Bible. His story is here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John has it. But 
really, we can find out about Jesus all throughout the scriptures. We can search for Jesus by coming to church, uh, in prayer, asking other Christians to help us to understand. It's so valuable to figure out what the shepherds figured out. It's not enough to just know about Jesus. We've got to search for him, and we can see who he is in the Bible. The, the Bible gives us a brilliant and an amazing picture of Jesus as the embodiment of God's love, as this amazing teacher, as one who would give his life for the people he loved to save us from their sins. The Bible shows us Jesus rising on the third day after he was crucified, fully victorious over death, showing that he is, in fact, fully God and fully man, able to save us from our sins. We can start by searching for Jesus. We should ask God for his help in this. Reveal Jesus to me. Help me to see Jesus for who he is. Fix the places where I've got misconceptions and poor understandings. Let me see Jesus. We can repeat the message of good news to others. You know, good news is worth sharing. Good news almost demands to be shared. If you had actually won the car in that contest that we started off talking about earlier, you might tell a few people. It's pretty good news. You might want to share that. But how much better is it to have God, your creator, instead of judging you for your sin, save you from your sin, make peace with you through Jesus Christ, give you the gift of real life, true life, now that you can experience and for all of eternity. It's the greatest news a lot more important than winning a car. Tell people, it's the greatest news that they will ever hear as well. We've got the good news. We can have peace with God and forgiveness of sin, and so can the people that God has put into our lives. Let's spread the good news. And finally, we can praise God. You know, God is fully deserving of our highest praise. He is fully deserving of every single bit of thankfulness and joy and gratitude that we can give to him. We can praise God. But, you know, I find that sometimes the good news of Jesus in my life can feel like the old news. Get used to it. it I forget about what my life might look like if God hadn't found me when I was living in darkness. We can forget about just how good it is, what an amazing gift of God that we have in our lives that we don't have to live underneath the tyranny of sin, that we can be adopted into the family of God. And I think a really good way to fight that becoming old news or becoming numb to that is simply to be grateful people, to thank God for what he's done. I mean, count your blessings. List off the many ways that God has been faithful through the years. Thank him for each and everything he's done, and you'll see that this old news is now becoming great news once again. We need to have the correct perspective. Thank God he cares for you loves you, that a baby was born for you, who is Savior, Messiah, the Lord, the promised one. Joy in its purest form is the gladness and the happiness that comes from being loved, forgiven, accepted, and made new by God. For some of us today, we need to remember that joy, remember what it's like to have God change our lives entirely. For other ones, this is just good news that you need to take advantage of. It's time to say, the life I've been living has got nothing compared to what God has got for me. I don't want to live underneath the pain of sin. I know what sin does to me. I know how it hurts myself and the people that I love. And I want to accept what Jesus has done. I should be the one who died because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus went to the cross in my place. The Bible says that if you will believe in Jesus and receive him as your Lord, 
You can repent of your sins, and he will forgive them. You can be made right with God. Make him the Lord of your life. That means you're going to let him rule your life. It, it means that if you're making Jesus Lord of your life, you will accept what he says to be true and act on that. It's not going to be about, well, I think I know better than the Bible, or the Bible might be wrong over there. It's going to be, no, this is the truth. This is how I live my life, because Jesus Christ is Lord. And that might be something that you want to do today, an amazing decision you can make.